Well, good morning. Y'all's belting that last song, like right over here. Were y'all singing it loud too? Whew. So today we're going to finish up our series on the book of Habakkuk. Um, and so just preemptively right now, if you've already got a Bible in front of you, you can begin turning to that passage. It's in the Old Testament. It finds its way in the Minor Prophets. Words are going to appear on the screen later from the verses that we're going to read. So if you need to check in there, you can, or you can pull up your mobile device. And as you're doing those things, like as you're finding the book of Habakkuk, however it is you're going to choose to look at it today, I want you to multitask a little bit because I want you to go backwards in time in your minds and, and remember what it was like in the spring of every school year when you received your, some call it an annual, some call it a yearbook. Do you remember that moment? Do you know, and I know this about you because it's true about me, it's actually true about all of us, do you know what the first thing you did when you received that annual was? you immediately turned to the page with your grade and your letter of the alphabet to find your picture because you wanted to see how it turned out, if they matched your name up with your picture as opposed to the kid that was above you or below you's picture. That would have been terrible. It did happen to a kid that I knew one time. Or you wanted to see if you looked awful because that happened to me a time or two. And if you go back now, depending on how older your books are, you can look at your fashion and realize that some of it has cycled back in. Some of it has not, fortunately. You looked to find yourself. And once you found that page, you went to all of the other pages that you and your friends might be featured in this club or in that band or in that sport because your number one goal when you got it was to find out how many places you appeared in it. Heather Zimple, who's a discipleship pastor in um, uh, Washington, D.C., a national community church, phenomenal speaker and leader and writer, and she's written a book on Habakkuk. It's called Amazed and Confused, and in it she writes this, most of us read our Bibles a little bit like we read our yearbooks. Certainly, we can and should see ourselves in the Bible, but the main character is God himself. When we pick this up, and our number one goal is to flip to all of the pages where we clearly pop out into view from the page to see where we are and what it means for us. Uh, no, we're missing something. Because ultimately, this is a, a word of God about God. And, and it may be to us, but it's not about us. And we miss something really important, particularly when we look at the minor prophets to discover what it is that God is saying, not about us, but about himself and who we are to be in light of that. And so we dive into this book today knowing that ultimately it's about him, and that's a good thing. So right here at the very beginning of the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 1, we read these words, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionah. And you're immediately left to wonder right after that first verse, why didn't they translate that last word into English too so that we could understand what it meant? But you know that in some parts of speech in the Hebrew language, there are some things that just don't keep their meaning when you translate them into English. And so instead of trying to fumble with the words, they just leave it there. So I looked it up this week and a lot of scholars have different definitions of the word, but basically it is this, a lyrical poem composed under strong mental emotion. Well, if you've read Habakkuk chapter 1 and you've read Habakkuk chapter 2, you know that it's a lyrical poem composed under strong mental emotion. So we could read verse 1 like this, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to a lyrical poem composed under strong mental emotion. Or you could take it a step further, a song of impassioned imagination accompanied with suitable music derived from a verb meaning to wander. So you could say, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to a lyrical poem composed under strong mental emotion, a song of impassioned imagination accompanied with suitable music derived from a verb meaning to wander. And then I got to this part of the definition, and I loved it. Okay, well, part of it, not the whole thing. It is generally taken to mean a dithyramb, which I don't know what that is. Musicians should be teaching this message. Or rhapsody. 
And as soon as I read that word, my, I mean, oh, the bunnies I did chase. In my mind, running around going, this is it. What if on the day that I stand up to talk about Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, as soon as I say the word rhapsody, and I'm going to say it like twice, as soon as I say that word, a spotlight, like an imaginary one. Oh, what if it was a realistic one? Just like shone down on someone in the room, I don't know, like Eric Grishheimer, and he just all of a sudden stood up and began singing these words, I see a little silhouette of a man. And like as soon as that happened, like somebody else in another part of the auditorium, like Austin or Emily, stood up and they were like, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, and then all of a sudden another person, another spotlight from way in the back of a person that I can't see because the lighting is weird and I can't see the people's faces back there, which is a good thing because if I saw that many faces, it would probably make me nervous. But someone said, it was like, will you do the Fandango? Then thunderbolt and lightning happened. And then all of a sudden, by the time we got to the part where it was like, Galileo, 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 like people just stood up all over the room. And not only that, but then as with like this incredible chorus and all of these like melodies and harmonies and rhapsodies, because I was going to say that word again, yes I was, we all of a sudden all knew the same choreography too. Because that's what happens in musicals. Randomly, they're having a conversation about what they're going to have for lunch that day, and then someone sings a line, and then everybody starts singing the same lines over and over again, and they start dancing, and they know the same stuff whenever I think of the word choreography. I'm reminded of a girl that Susan and I knew at our first church in North Carolina. Her name was Corey, because sometimes that's a gender-neutral name. And she would always say to us, because she taught classes at the YMCA, that whenever there was going to be something new coming up, she would say, you guys should come to my class on Tuesday. I've got some new choreography. Get it? Choreography. And we would always laugh with her because we thought that that was really funny, kind of weird to say at the same time. But we would all know the same moves. And we'd all be singing the same song. And it would conjure up something inside of us that somehow made sense. The word shigenoth may not make sense to us, but it did make sense to them. It it meant that these words were meant to be sung, and not just sung, but sung together. Wow. I like that. So so we get to the book of Habakkuk, and we know that chapter 1 and chapter 2 are full of struggle, as God reminds the prophet that the Babylonians are coming, and the prophet is crying out, saying, why is the nation so wicked? And God says, I have a solution. I'll bring someone who's even more wicked than you to come and overtake you, and that's going to somehow solve the problem. But don't worry, because one day I'm going to give them their punishment too, and it's going to be great, so you just need to wait on it. Here's the deal. We've been looking through the book of Habakkuk for some semblance of the word hope, and this is where it is. We do not arrive at the hope in chapter 3, without first going through the questions in chapter 1 and the waiting in chapter 2. Our fast food culture says, let's just bypass all of that and get straight to the good stuff, eat your dessert first. Yes, that sounds great. But we don't get to the hope without first going through the periods of questions and through sometimes the intense personal waiting. Here's a key question for us today. What is the difference between someone who encounters, you fill in the blank, pain, adversity, strife, struggle, like conflict. What's the difference? There it is. It's in your notes. Put in whatever you want. What's the difference between a person who experiences all of that and is afraid and the person who experiences all of that and sees opportunity or has hope? What's the difference between a person who looks at the refugee crisis in the world and sees fear 
and the person who looks at four million outside of Syria and seven million still inside of Syria, 11 million displaced people, and instead of having fear, has hope. What's the difference between the person who looks at 21,000 people who will die today because they don't have proper nutrition because their physical needs aren't met. Now of that 21,000, approximately 16,000 of them being children, every four seconds, another person dies because they don't have enough food to eat. What's the difference between a believer in Jesus Christ who looks at that circumstances and thinks to themselves, there is no hope in that, and a person who says, yes, there is. Those are the global things. Well, what about the local ones? What about a student who I loved in my very first student ministry? His name was Ryan, incredible guy. He's a minister in a local church in the Charlotte area now, and he's grown up to be an incredible man of God, and he's married to a wonderful woman named Hannah because, yeah, I've been a youth pastor long enough in my life to have kids grow up and get married and have kids of their own. I realize that that's crazy, but it's true. And so what's the difference between a guy like that getting all excited and sending me a message saying, Nick, Hannah's pregnant. And they go for that 20-week ultrasound, and they're looking at all the anatomy, and they're figuring out all the things that they're figuring out, and they realize that it's a baby girl, but then, oh no, she has one of the trisomy markers on a chromosome, which means she won't live for hours if she makes it through pregnancy. And then you talk to his parents after more than a day of labor. She delivers hold the sweet baby girl who only has hours. What's the difference between a a believer in Jesus Christ who looks at that circumstance and says, okay, that's it, there's no hope. And someone who says, yeah, there is. You know that kind of person. Sometimes they drive you bananas. (laughs) But ultimately, you want to be that kind of person. You want to be that kind of believer. The one who, when trouble and strife and anxiety and difficulty and calamity and just horrible circumstances of all kinds is somehow through the power and the strength of Jesus Christ able to look at those things as if they are a blessing and not a curse. How do you do that? The short answer is history. History. You just look at history. It's from the Greek word histor, which means wise or learned person. And it gives us the word historia, which means investigation. You just investigate history. And that's ultimately what Habakkuk did. In verse 2, he says this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I've heard stories about you, God, and I know that you're good. I know that my ancestors and I know that my people group faced calamity and disasters and destruction of various kinds throughout history, but I know that ultimately, God, you did a good thing in that so that as we arrive on the doorstep of destruction again, you're still able A person who looks back at history and sees the powerful story of God woven through it is able to look and say, okay, I can see everything that God has already done, and I believe that it's possible for him to do it again. He continues and just gives us a litany of the good things that God did. In verse 3, it says, God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. That Mount Paran is the same thing as Mount Sinai. We know that's where Moses climbed up and got the Ten Commandments. The very word of God was given on a mountain, and so Habakkuk writes, I know you gave us your word. 
I know you gave us your truth. Your splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. That's the Shekinah glory of God. Shekinah is not mentioned in scripture, but we understand what it means from Hebrew writings. It's the glory of the Lord that shines so bright that you can't look at his face or you would be blinded. There was a moment in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses wanted to see God and God said, you can't see me because I'm too bright. It'll blind you and you'll die on the spot. But that's okay. You can see just the backside of me as I pass by you. You're going to get a glimpse of the glory of God. And it was so profound in Moses' life that in Exodus chapter 34, he came down from the mountain and the glory had worn off on him to where he was bright and shiny too. And the people couldn't look at him. Habakkuk recounts these stories and said, okay, history tells me God is good. History tells me of the glory of the Lord. It says, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. We know that the plagues are the method that God used to rescue people from Egypt. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations, and the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. That's creation, but it's also a picture of how God gave them a land called promise, scattering those nations and giving them a home. It says, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. That's Egypt that they left. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. That's the land that they're going to go through on the way to the land of promise. And there was a war fought in Numbers 31 that said Israel won. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation and you paved a way for us to walk on dry ground so that we could be safe. He's recounting the history of Israel and saying, okay, God, I've heard this report of you. Habakkuk was not there walking across that water, but he knew what God had done. It says in verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. That's Joshua chapter 10, where the sun literally stopped at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, they won those battles and they overtook that land. And God fulfilled his promise. It says, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, the people that you chose to bear a name for yourself. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the port in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Every single one of these is a reference to the story of God recounted through Old Testament history so that Habakkuk knew the reason, the way that he was going to have hope in the middle of another dark circumstance that was looming is that he was going to look at the history of God and say, okay, he's got this. So Habakkuk responds in verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Okay, I get it, God. I know it's coming. It terrifies me how powerful you are. But I believe it. You see, the short answer is history. The long one is this. Belief begets behavior. When you believe in something, it changes what you do. Like if I look at the forecast and I believe that it's going to rain tomorrow, incidentally, I don't think it is, but if it were, I would grab my umbrella or throw on a rain jacket. My belief in the fact that rain was coming would change my behavior in what I did the next day to prepare for the rain. Belief begets behavior, and it's the same thing here. I'm afraid, God, because it looks horrible, but I know you've got this. And so at the end of verse 16, he says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. History's clear, God's got this. 
And so in the middle of the moment when I'm scared, I will be patient and wait. This is a proclamation of faith. And it's a unique faith. It's a unique faith that causes him to say next. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. As if the word Shigianoth was not enough to let us know that these words were meant to be sung, we get the reminder at the end that we were supposed to put these to music. His proclamation of faith in verse 16 turned into his declaration of intent in verse 18. What's the difference between people who look at problems and see fear and those who see opportunity? Faith. And not just any sort of faith, a distinct faith. And even if not faith. Even if not if the fig trees don't bloom, if there is no food, if there is no herd in the stalls, if we don't live in a land of plenty, if you don't do the good thing, God, that we have prayed that you will do, even if not, I will still rejoice in you. I will still put my trust in you. My intent, God, is to worship you no matter what. I, I love that this was a song meant to be sung. Because at the very beginning of this series, we reminded you that although it comes after Daniel in the canon of scripture. Habakkuk came before Daniel in actual history. We said earlier in this series that he was like the distinguished old college professor looking at retirement when Daniel was an incoming freshman. Their lives overlapped to a degree in this summer. We had an incredible opportunity to go through the entire book of Daniel. One such story was one that you maybe learned as a child of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, People that were carted off from their hometown when the Babylonians came just as Habakkuk prophesied because God told him that they would when they came and ransacked the city and destroyed the temple. They carted off smart, well-educated Jewish royalty boys back to their, their city and they raised them there and indoctrinated them with the ways of the Babylonians. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego along with Daniel were among those boys. And in chapter 3, that childhood story that you learned, Nebuchadnezzar erected a statue and said, everybody, when you hear the sound of stringed instruments, just like the ones that were mentioned right here in the book of Habakkuk chapter 3, the very last verse, when you hear the sound of all of these instruments, you're going to bow down and worship the statue that I've made, indicating that you actually bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar. And good God-fearing Jews that they were, they refused. And so you go to not Habakkuk chapter 3, but Daniel chapter 3, and you find out that they look at the king and they say, oh king, we do not need to answer you. The God that we serve is able to rescue us from your fire. And then verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There's the difference. Our God is able to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship you. Our God is able to answer our prayers, but even if he doesn't the way that I want him to, I'm still going to worship and trust in him. We listen to lots of Lauren Daigle at our house. You know her. She's on Christian radio if you ever tune into that. 
Our, our kids love to sing those words, and, and I like to think that they're learning a little bit of theology sometimes about who God is and, and what he means. Our, a couple of weeks ago, I captured on recording just driving down the road, which meant that I was touching my phone while driving. Don't judge, okay? And I recorded my son singing these words. He's only four, so we're okay. Like, first of all, he sings a little bit like Celine Dion, bobbing his head around and waving his arm. And second of all, he thinks when she sings the word first, she's really just going, which honestly, that's kind of what it sounds like. Our kids also don't understand that you can't just change the songs on the radio to what you want them to be like you do on, say, Spotify when you click to a playlist that you've made and you can all of a sudden adjust what the songs are. And so he'll, want, he'll hear that song and then want to hear it again right afterwards, which is, you know, kind of impossible if you're just listening to the radio. There's another Lauren Daigle song that they sing a lot. And if, you know, it wasn't dangerous to record everything that they do in the car, I'd flip that button on again and record him singing this because she sings these words when, when you don't move the mountains like I, like I want you to. When you don't part the waters that I need to walk through, when you don't give the answers that I'm crying out for, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. And she has to say trust twice because I think she has to get to a longer part of the song, but I think it's just good for that phrase to be repeated in our minds. That's an even if not faith. It's even if you don't do the thing that I want you to do, God, I will still trust in you. And I won't just still trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. The reason that these were meant to be sung is because God knew from the beginning of history what we need to know now just from looking at science. The reason why songs are sung, the reason why Shigianoth was here in Habakkuk chapter 3, it's because melody and structure provide cues that trigger memories. And so we have this hope that one day, and our kids are older, and life's not pretty because it's not always pretty, they can say it's okay when he doesn't move the mountains, when he doesn't part the waters, when he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we ask for. It's okay. We can still trust, trust, trust in him. I, I like to believe, and it's not explicit in Scripture, that, but because these words from Habakkuk had already spread throughout the temple, and the most learned, the most educated, the most royal of sons would have known those words of the prophet. I like to think that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire on repeat in the back of their heads could have been those words from the song that they were taught to sing as little boys. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there's no herd in the stalls. And the fire is really, really hot yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. It's the song that we need to sing. It's the song that I hope these words and those songs trigger in our memories whenever we face disaster of any kind. Habakkuk was terrified of what was happening. 
but he trusted based on God's story that God would act both timely and justly. His even if not faith was translating into not my will but yours obedience and that's what it does for us. You see, even if not faith in Habakkuk 3 and an even if not circumstance in Daniel 3 eventually translated to a garden where Jesus Christ was praying, oh Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Belief in God and his plan had beget a behavior in Jesus Christ to where he was willing to submit even to the most disastrous plan in order to accomplish the will of God. The word cup in scripture was always a metaphor for the wrath of God. And so what Jesus was agonizing and praying for that day was saying, oh Lord, if it be your will, please let this cup of wrath pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And that's what an even if not faith begs of us. That's what that type of declaration of intent is in us. It's the kind of faith, it's the kind of prayer, it's the kind of person that looks at the God of this universe and says, I need you to take away this pain. But even if you don't, I'm still gonna sing songs about you telling you that I love you. I need you to heal my child. Even if you don't, I'm still gonna tell you that I love you and look at the hope that I have in Christ because of you. God, I need you to restore my family, save my marriage, give me a job, change my circumstance, change my outlook. God, I need this. Oh, but even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, even when there's no produce on the vine and no sheep in the stall, even when the fire seems hotter than I can handle, when the prayers that I'm praying seem to fall on deaf ears, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. And I won't just trust in you, but I will rejoice in you because history tells me that there's hope. And my belief in you is gonna change my behavior to where I become one of those people that others look at to say, whoa, how in the world are you coping through this? How in the world are you dealing with the news? How in the world are you handling the diagnosis? How in the world are you grasping with the loss? And we've literally become a people of such defined faith that we respond with, how can we not? Because though the fig tree doesn't blossom, I'll trust in him. Though my life seems to be unraveling, I'll trust in him. Though the destruction and the disaster is not removed from me, I'll still put my faith in the Lord. Habakkuk did us a favor. He did us a favor way back in Verse 2, when he said, in wrath, remember mercy. As a people, we don't like to think of a God of wrath and a God of love in the same sentence. And we don't, we don't understand how Scripture reconciles those two. And Habakkuk puts them together, and it's a gift to us because we don't get the mercy of God without the wrath of God. And mercy isn't just God removing the punishment that we deserve. Wouldn't that be nice? God didn't remove the punishment that we deserve. He transferred the punishment that we deserve to his own son. As we continue in our time of worship today, we're going to make our way to some tables around the room. This one's gluten-free. 
And as we walk up to those tables, we're going we're gonna to have people, other believers in Jesus Christ, standing in front of us with a plate and a cup, indicating to us that it's the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that's broken and shed for us. They're going to say those words, and as you take it and participate, I hope you'll say these words. Even when life's hard, even when life's not good, even though I don't understand, I'll trust you. Even though it doesn't seem like you're answering, even though I can't bear this pain, even though the disaster's too much, I'll trust you. It's an indication of our worship today that we understand that in his wrath poured out on sin, the God of this great universe remembered his mercy and poured out that wrath in a direction other than yours. On his own son. So that in his wrath, he didn't just remember mercy. In his wrath, he paid for our mercy. And that Jesus Christ himself, looking back on the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, singing the words of a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Even if not, I'll trust you. Even if not, let your will be done, not mine. God, we thank you for today. And beyond that, we thank you, God, for this series. God, we know that we don't get to the hope in Christ without the questions and the wrestling and the difficulty of the cross. And it's my prayer today, God, that we would be a people who know you and trust you and who are willing to worship you, not if life is tough, but when life is tough. Help us to be a people of even if not faith. Who desire your will to be done above our own. And who know that ultimately it was your will that bought us freedom, that bought us forgiveness, and that saved us. We celebrate that salvation in Jesus today. And as we approach these tables, we come as a people who have hope regardless. Because you are who you are. You've done what you've done. And you will always do exactly what is necessary to craft for yourself a name and a fame that goes beyond our imagination so that we can be a people who stand unashamedly and say, we trust you, God, no matter what. It's in your name that we pray and to your name that we continue to worship today. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service, and we want to encourage you to reflect on today's message throughout the week. 
Here at Rolling Hills, our goal is to raise up a community of disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ, and we hope that you will partner with us in doing so. How do you do that? Well, here are several ways. First, join us every Sunday, either online or at one of our physical locations. Join us as we worship our God and learn more about Him and His plan for us. Second, get connected. Check out our Next Steps page on the site to find out how you can engage with us further by serving or joining a community group. And lastly, we want to invite you to partner with us financially. You can do that online through the giving section of our site. All tithes and offerings go to support our ministries both locally and internationally, enabling us to impact lives and share God's Word. Again, we are so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.